0: Welcome back to another edition of the Cats Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host and publisher Justin Rowland and I am very happy, very pleased to be joined today by Travis Graff. Known to many of you as BBN but uh, the, the veil has been torn, the curtain has been lifted and you now know him as Travis. He is a guy who I'm thrilled to have with the site because he, he does get genuine, legitimate source information that i've been able to vouch for and he obviously has a uh, a reputation a positive presence quite a growing following on the board dabbles in betting kind of a renaissance man and good at what he does very talented so travis thanks for joining us making your podcast debut man how are you They're
1: good how are you Justin?
0: fantastic fantastic but um you know the the circumstances of this podcast are very interesting you know i feel like I tweeted the other day that the Citrus Bowl kind of, um, it made me feel like 50,000 football recruiting tweets over five years were worthwhile. Because we dwelled on recruiting, recruiting, recruiting the Mark Stoops era. And it just came to a head. I mean, you could see it. It was a culmination of an incredible building job by Mark Stoops and his staff. What were your, you have some big takeaways from from the game yesterday or thoughts on how everything played out? brought up recruiting and the biggest thing to me is that the two biggest difference makers on the field
1: were two guys that people that followed kentucky football kind of uh, eh, shaking their heads like if they were tapes or not and josh allen and benny and like you said Ken, uh, kentucky's built an sec caliber depth chart not just the starters like there was a uh,
0: like, for example, Jordan Jones didn't play. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Square comes in as a true freshman, and I thought he played a hell of a game. Mm-hmm. DeAndre it's Square. Like Go ahead, sorry. Uh, I was just saying, it's just like that across the board, really. It's uh, you got
1: young guys making plays. Uh, Oates had some good plays. Uh, Darian Kennard got in there in the second half. He made, I think he graded out pretty well, if I read that correctly.
0: Mm-hmm. DeAndre Square is an interesting cat because, I mean, I watched him at Kentucky summer camp a couple of summers ago, and I was like, wow, he's a great prospect, but he's kind of like a tweener between a safety and outside linebacker, and he's like a developmental guy, kind of like Eli Brown. Like, give him a year, two years in the weight program, and he was an early enrollee, but, like, I'm legitimately shocked that he's making the kind of impact or he made the kind of impact that he made as a true freshman. Like, he came on, I don't know if it was a delayed blitz. I don't remember. I think it was, but he came through on a delayed blitz and a Penn State offensive lineman or tight end just decked him, like turned him sideways, flung him into the backfield. It was incredible force of impact. And Square, like, as he was flying backwards into the backfield, still managed to sack McSorley. Like, he is just, I think it's like Detroit dudes are just kind of a different breed, almost like Louisiana guys. They've got just a little bit of dog in them. And that, that's what I was saying. Yeah, go oh, ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead.
1: Uh, that's what I was saying. Whenever Kentucky took, took him, every is he a linebacker, is he a safety. He's kind of, he's kind of a uh, frail build. I'm like, Kentucky at that point couldn't pick and choose which players they were taking. But Square was, I love players like Square. DeAndre, he's just a great football player. He does, he had a build that the catch uh, strength coach and all of them could uh, build on. But he was just, he's always been a great football player ever since I have watched him play since he was a sophomore, junior in high school.
0: Mm-hmm. And watching Chris Oates on the field, I think Oates was credited with like three tackles. Square, I think, had six, was their third leading tackler. One of the keys that we and a lot of other people singled out before the game was like Trace McSorley, 175 rushing yards against Ohio State, such a gamer, such an improvisation whiz, can just beat you with his legs. You could tell every time they needed to make plays, James Franklin was just like, all right, read option, and it seemed like pretty obvious, Trace, you're keeping it. How are they going to respond with a senior Jordan Jones out? And two true freshman linebackers in the middle of the defense left no doubt that the future of Kentucky's linebacking core is in excellent hands. Those guys are going to be stars in Lexington, no question about it. Watching Josh Allen walk off the field, run off the field, dance off the field, celebrate off the field with Chris Oates, who is just a specimen. Like, Chris Oates looks like, he's a man, yeah, he's like a hybrid edge rusher at Alabama, and he's an inside linebacker at Kentucky, a true freshman. Like, how did Ohio State not recruit this guy hard from the jump and make sure he didn't get, and Lynn Bowden, I was on the Ohio State message board the other day, just, like, seeing what they were saying, and they're like, yeah, you know, there was some reason to be concerned about Bowden off the field, but, like, how did we let this guy get away? It's really remarkable, the talent that this team has Building for the future. Oh, yeah, they definitely got a lot of nice pieces,
1: especially on defense um, between Square Oats. I, like, I love Devontae Robinson. Then um, you got the incoming uh, crop of freshmen coming in. We're going to be set, or uh, Kentucky's going to be set in the uh, trenches and at linebacker for the next perceivable
0: future. Not a lot of guys would have been able to track down. I think it was Hamler for Penn State who took that ball down the sideline. And uh, I think it was Devontae Robinson who tracked him down and just barely. But Robinson graded out better than most of Kentucky's older players for most of the season, according to Pro Football Focus. And he is obviously going to be a huge linchpin in that secondary next season with so many guys leaving the program. It'll be interesting to see um, what kind of turnover there is there, but I wanted to touch on Benny Snell. Obviously, I think it's pretty safe to say the best running back in Kentucky history. Like, I'm not saying that he's like far. He's ever had a season that's far and away while nobody else is in the same league. Like Mo Williams obviously had, had a great Kentucky career. Raphael Little, all-purpose, as versatile as it gets, perfect for that offense. I've always felt like Artos Penner. That last year he had at Kentucky was just phenomenal. Just a total workhorse. But Benny Snell, what he did over three seasons, coming up so big, such a reliable, consistent workhorse, and then capping it with 140-plus yards, two touchdowns against Penn State. What a great end to his career, don't you think? Oh, for sure. This will show my age,
1: but I never watched a Kentucky running back up until R2's last year. Yeah. And... I've never seen a Kentucky running back that runs as hard as Benny Snow. He wants
0: that one yard more than anybody I've ever seen. Maybe he wants football the past years. He, um, I think he's made the right decision. I don't think anybody would fault him. Anybody that's seriously thinking about this is going to fault him for leaving a year early. To break the record three years into his career, to break it on a touchdown that was just such a climactic moment in the game. Uh, not, a moment in Kentucky football history. Yeah, yeah. And for, for him to, and Josh Allen to both go out, I'll never fault a guy who says, you know what, I'm not going to play in a bowl game because I've got a career to think about. There are guys who get injured. You're, you're not really going to help your stock in this game. But it doesn't say anything bad about guys who sit out, but I think it says a lot good about the kind of culture that Mark Stoops has created, that Josh Allen, it, th- those guys played when they didn't have to, and they had nothing to gain. I think they it turns out they did have something to gain. It's going to help them with NFL scouts. It's going to help enhance their profile. It's going to look really good to people that are already evaluating them and just the ambassadors, ambassadors that they are for the program, how enthusiastic they are about Kentucky football. It's really, really remarkable. Yeah, you can automatically, like, check off in the NFL interviews pretty much their character by playing in
1: this game. Yep. And it wasn't a playoff game. It was, it was a marquee matchup, but that shows you the love that they had for Kentucky, and it will translate to their love for their NFL teams, I think.
0: Yeah. Obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about the roster and, you know, what needs to happen between now and February with recruiting and maybe grad transfer additions to bolster the roster. And... The development, the seasoning that has to take place going into the spring, there's plenty of time for that. But just like as a first glance, how they're going to replace these guys, um, you don't replace them. You, you, it's got to either by by committee. Maybe you tweak your identity. Um, AJ Rose is obviously going to become the the odds-on favorite to be the the Lions share the work the workload. He's going to carry a lot of the load that Snell had. I think it's going to be a little bit more split, a little bit by committee, either Smoke or Rodriguez helping Rose out. Um, but oh, there, I think so much is going to ride on Lin Bowden next season. Like, he went from, eh, he had an okay freshman season, no touchdowns, got 1,000 all-purpose yards, but a lot of that was just kind of like pretty decent kickoff return yardage, to he had a phenomenal sophomore season. And he's he's legitimately poised to become one of the best receivers all-purpose players, dynamic players. Period. In the SEC next year, he's got to stay healthy. He takes another step forward. He can be. I mean, the sky really is the limit for him, don't you think? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I read the other day that he finished this season with the most receptions by a UK sophomore since Derek Abney in the early 2000s, and that was with Jared Lorenzen throwing it around 40 times a game. And we don't, we don't, uh, Kentucky doesn't run that offense anymore. So, uh, yeah, it's totally different. And I completely agree with what you're saying about uh,
1: Benny and Josh. You're going to have to replace them 100% by committee. I think A.J. Rose has the ability to be a stud. I love his build. I love his long strides, his speed, his ability to run inside and outside. But it's hard to compare him to Benny from the jump. Just as it's going to be with uh, Jared Daniel, and whoever else they have helping out as the pass rusher.
0: Kentucky had a uh... Too many three and outs against Penn State over the whole course of the game, Um, but they have not been a team that's had a whole lot of three and outs in recent years. They've been a team that has maybe struggled more to find big plays, and they have been able to uh, move the chains a decent amount, playing at a pretty slow tempo. That kind of begs the question, because Snell had so much to do with that, just moving the chains, churning ahead for yards, moving the pile, picking up. Two or three extra yards. With Rose is more of a home run hitter, but maybe not quite as much of a pile mover. They're going to need a lot more explosive plays to compensate for maybe um, maybe not as many hidden yards as Snell would give you. Uh, defensively, I think it, it's almost impossible to quantify how much Allen meant to that defense. Like how how much of the secondary's improvement had to do with Allen? I mean, obviously a lot. But so it's you're, throw
1: when he's right in your face at 6'4", 260.
0: yeah I mean they're um they' when they were able to pin their ears back when he was able to pin his ears back and everybody knew he was coming and you still couldn't stop him like that changes the game so dramatically fortunately you talk about Qu- Quentin Bohanna Calvin Taylor TJ Carter uh, Phil Hoskins Yeah, I mean, Josh Paschal, yeah, Josh Paschal, Can Joe Daniel coming back next year, Boogie Watson, Square, Oates, let me just, Weaver, uh, Casey, who knows what kind of impact they're going to make. The good news is Kentucky, like, has as good a young core of pass-rushing personnel across the board in the front seven to compensate for Allen's loss. There's going to be a drop-off in pass-rushing efficiency, I think. but. I feel pretty pretty good about the guys they've got athletically and in terms of explosiveness across the board.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I think Kentucky's strength next year is going to be on the interior defensive line getting yeah. pushed. I love the core of Bohanna, Paschal. I love Calvin Taylor's game. Calvin Taylor played a heck of a game that got overshadowed by Josh Allen in the Citrus Bowl. It's kind of hard to game plan for a guy that's six nine over three hundred pounds. Because even if he, he does a lot of stuff that doesn't show up in the in the uh, stack on, like it's hard to throw over a
0: guy that is six nine and his hands straight up. That's the the most impressive thing to me about what Kentucky did in that Citrus Bowl. What they did all season: beating Florida five straight against South Carolina, four straight against Missouri, missed two out of three against Mississippi State. I mean, just such a remarkable season. You can be a bad program and luck into a Josh Allen, a Benny Snell. Like can't I mean heck, Kansas produces some good players every once in a while. What you can't fake is the amount of legitimate, like big time athletes on on the front seven that Kentucky has. You can't fake that. You have to develop that. And I, I think you have There's something that Mark Stoops has done recruiting at Kentucky. He took his lumps early. I see some other programs out there that take these guys that are like tweeners. They're maybe undersized. Um, They're overachievers. They're high-production guys in high school. Mark Stoops really hasn't taken a lot of those guys. Like He prides himself on having a blue-collar program, but what he's done is taken guys who have the size, who have the athleticism, but maybe they're raw. And they're more developmental guys because I think his philosophy is if you don't have the beef, if you don't have the size, the measurables, the vitals, the quickness, the athleticism, the explosiveness, you cannot compete in the Southeastern Conference. And he took his lumps early, but now, you know, Alabama gets those big, fast guys that can play from year one. Kentucky's got big, fast guys that maybe take two years to develop. But when they develop, I mean, they're as good as most, most players in the Southeastern Conference. How many players would you say that he has on their defense right now that would be, like, Alabama-type comparisons? Like <laughs> You could say Josh Paschal's got the build. Um, J.J. Wigford looks like he could get into that build. Uh, Jerry Casey. Um, let's see, uh, Calvin Taylor looks like somebody that Saban would use. McCall, so I like, mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, McCall. 360 pounds. Right. And like you said, it takes Kentucky
1: a couple years to develop those players, whereas Alabama gets them and they're stars right away. But I love the approach that Stoops has taken with this team and this program and just saying, I'm going to get big, nasty, ugly dudes and stick them on defense. Because I
0: remember when Kentucky got mauled by Mississippi State two years ago, Mississippi State's defense had a lot of dudes on that team, which is what I call them. Like, yeah. The, the big bad guys. Well yeah. Kentucky's slowly
1: starting to get into that mold of players, I feel
0: like. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think they, they have a really blue collar approach, a positive culture. And that, that's something else is the culture. Like I think sometimes we get too hung up on like splitting hairs, like, well, is your recruiting class the thirty-fifth ranked class or is it twenty-fifth ranked class or is it the fortieth ranked class or the twentieth ranked class? Like, I think at a certain point. Some classes just are better than others. Like the number one class is the number one class. A top 10, 15 class is better than like a top 30 class. But once you get outside of those like clear clear tiers, you could take the same player and put him in a good culture and put him in, and, and in another scenario, take the same player and put him in a bad culture where there's not player ownership, integrity, Leadership, uh, and that same player is going to develop in a completely different way from one program to the next. And I think I think the 2014 class at Kentucky, I'll always believe this. It's the highest ranked class that Stoops had. I've kind of defended them. Um, I do have to concede that that the 15 class, maybe some later ones, have had probably more of a more of a positive benefit. But they came into the program. There just wasn't any leadership. There was not any positive leadership, and it was a bad culture. And I think one of the reasons that they didn't maybe live up to their expectations the way that some recent classes have is they just just did not come into a positive program culture, and they didn't know how to to do it. They didn't know how to train. They didn't know how to work. They didn't know how to check their egos at the door. But it seems like they've really got a nice revolving door of leadership in the program right now, not just from the coaches, but the players.
1: I would attribute a part of that to whenever they came in, that was when
0: Stoops was really green as a head coach of a football program. Yeah, that's a great point, and, yeah. And he's he's got his feet wet, and now he's hit the
1: ground running, and he's doing things the right way. And it, it, it would make me proud as a Kentucky fan that to be a fan of this team.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what a lot of people at the site are conveying, is like... It's, you don't have to apologize or make excuses for anybody. Like, people aren't doing stupid They've Even Jordan Jones pretty much kept it in check during the regular season. And, you know, it's unfortunate what how he wasn't able to play in the bowl game, but, like, there's nothing to be embarrassed about or to explain away with this team. Oh, no, and Stoops has done a good job, too. He's weeded out some bad seeds along the way, and some people questioned it because they were highly talented players. But if you want a uh, program with integrity that wins and has a winning culture and a family culture, that's what you have to do. I think I've kind of, I have a personal flaw of like gravitating towards like extreme opinions on social media and getting in arguments with them when I probably shouldn't. I should probably just ignore some of the extremes, but I can't help it. I'm just kind of, I like. I'm the same way. Yeah. I like the argument. I like the, the discussion. Um, I kind of called out some of the negativity this year. That doesn't mean like I totally get like if you believe the offense has a long way to go to be able to carry more of the slack from what they're losing off the team this year I get that you're right if you think Terry Wilson has to improve to take uh, like he has to do some significant improving to take the next step as a quarterback I get that I don't mean to like just toss those things aside. I will say say this I think, it's gonna be. It's gonna tell us how mature the Kentucky fan base is, and I'm not saying that in like a condescending way. But what if Kentucky goes like four and eight next year? And I'm not saying they are. I think they have a very manageable schedule. They could go nine and three again. I really believe that. Um, but if they go four and eight, five and seven, like. How, the fan base has, frankly, been kind of spoiled over the last five years. The last six years are the only program in the country that's held steady or improved in the win column every single year. At some point, the progress isn't going to be linear. Like, at some point, you're not going to win more games than the previous year. And just based on everything they lose this year, I mean, it wouldn't be a shock if Kentucky struggled quite a bit at times next year. And I just hope, for, for, really for their own sake, that fans are prepared to be able to, like, hold this intention. Mark Stoops is doing a great job, has done a great job, but some years are going to be better than others. And I hope the fan base is prepared for that possibility.
1: I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, I think, I, I especially agree with where you said you could see that Kentucky fans would be spoiled the past few years because what Stoops has done here. Or like steadily improving, top 25, 30 recruiting classes, and eventually,
0: it's going to. What's the term? Kentucky football is going to going to Kentucky football. It's going to come back down to earth a little bit. It's probably not going to be drastic, where Kentucky's going to go three and nine, four and eight next year. But like you said, there's going to be. It's going to plateau a little bit. Yeah, everybody has down years. Like every like every program has. It. You look at Frank Beamer's career at Virginia Tech eventually they're you know some years are better than others you look at almost everybody that's even a great success story in college football has some down years I you know maybe it's a moot point maybe they're gonna win nine games again next year and that's possible I I know this I'm not gonna undersell them I'm not gonna sell them short I think they have the talent I definitely think, yeah I definitely think. Yeah, they got, I mean, they got to do better with putting butts in the seat next year. And I know a lot of people have kind of written that off. It's like a trend in college football. It's not just a Kentucky thing. You're right. Like, that's true. But I thought the fan showing on senior day was kind of, was frankly poor. And uh, I, I think, um, in fact, some I had somebody close to the program. <laughs> I might get in trouble for saying this, but somebody close to the program Told, told me after that game that like if the staff leaves eventually you'll know why and that was kind of frustration being voiced about just like people not showing up for a team that was on the on the cusp of winning its eighth game on senior day against middle tennessee but you know i think i think the citrus i think the citrus bowl win is going to carry over a lot of enthusiasm into next season oh i do i do too I think that the ticket sales are going to be the best that they've ever been next year.
1: But like you were saying, there's a trend everywhere. And the thing is, late late season game, it's hunting season. It's cold. It's not a sexy opponent. I get why people don't go. But when you're having the best year of all time saying goodbye to Josh Allen, Benny Snell, all that, I get why people close
0: to – the program. Be upset. They're, they're one the seat. Kind of putting a bow on this season in context, Kentucky finished second in the SEC East, but they were technically in a worse bowl game than Florida. I mean, I, honestly, Florida was in the major quote unquote bowl game against Michigan, and they handled Michigan. Kentucky played in the Citrus Bowl and beat Penn State. I think those are two pretty comparable outcomes in terms of national prestige and respect. Kentucky, you know, played on New Year's Day, which is kind of traditionally more of a, of, of a high-profile college football day. I want to ask this question. I'll let you you give your spin on it. Where does Kentucky as a program right now stack up in the SEC East? I mean, I think you can make a case that Kentucky is is based on recent results and like the last two or three years and this year and just kind of where the program is at at the moment is the second best program in the SEC East. Now, I would probably go with Florida just because the two teams were so similar this season and I kind of think that their talent is going to tick upwards and they're going to Mullen's gonna straighten the quarterback situation out more, but it's amazing how close it is. Not just this year, but like in a big program sense. Like Kentucky is right there as maybe the second best program in the East. Yeah. Um, with me, I'm probably gonna put them third. Yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to put them ahead of Florida yet, even though the roster
1: makeup is getting close. Years, I'm not ready to make that jump yet. Year in, year out. Plus Mullen, who knows what he's gonna do with that program once he gets his guys in there, in there that he wants and gets a, um, gets more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Gets a quarterback that more more fits his system. Yeah. But I would definitely say that Kentucky, for the first time in program history, is solidly above South Carolina, Tennessee.
0: They got to start beating Tennessee more, but I think they're they're clearly ahead of Tennessee as a program right now overall. The thing that just strikes me about Florida and the reason why this feels so sustainable for Kentucky, not maybe 10 and 3, but like just consistently being a pain in the butt for every team they face is like for the first time, that game in the swamp, Kentucky dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage. And in the but past, they didn't
1: do anything gimmicky to win that game.
0: They had nothing gimmicky, that's right. in the past Kentucky, the difference between Kentucky and Florida was Kentucky just could not block the speed of Florida's defensive line. I felt like that has all, we talk about Florida's fun and gun, this and that. It's always come down to Florida's big athletic dudes on the front seven have been able to get into the backfield at will against Kentucky and force turnovers and sacks and, and chaos and havoc. But Kentucky, I mean, we mentioned the names, McCall, Bohanna. You know, Pascal next year, like it feels sustainable. Like it feels like they're building a program that legitimately year in year out is going to be able to, to, you know, smash helmets in the trenches with just about everybody, save a couple of programs. Yeah, and, you know, and uh, we got a couple
1: new recruits in this recruiting class too that fit that mold of bigger interior defensive linemen as well.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the one of the big positives for the for the recruiting class, the 2019 class. Uh, was, you know, getting Isaiah Gibson to sign. There wasn't much drama about that, but Kayvon Butler keeping him on board. I mean, honestly, I didn't think they were going to keep Kayvon Butler. Like, I thought for a large portion of that process that he was going to end up somewhere else. And, I mean, for them to kind of process the Taras Payne kid, the junior college kid, like, they could have had him. But they're at a point as a program where where, frankly, it was like he just didn't have a very good season. And so he's not going to play at Kentucky. I mean, Florida was sniffing around this kid, and they're like, we didn't really like him that much. So that kind of tells you where you're at as a program. I, let, me, let me turn the page just for a couple more minutes while we're talking here. Travis, what do you think Kentucky's biggest need is between now and February to try to add on to that 2019 recruiting class? Um, is there one guy? Is there one position need that you feel like is, is the most glaring? Uh, I definitely think that
1: Kentucky needs to add another playmaker on offense
0: especially with Nesbitt leaving like Nesbitt leaving was kind of I had just kind of penciled him in as he was probably going to be right there in the mix to start at cornerback and you know probably more than Dort more than some of the younger guys like I thought Nesbitt was gonna that was kind of like they're losing so much but I think Nesbitt can probably be a player well he's gone so I'm with you I think the secondary is a huge question, but just in, in terms of a single player on the board that can be the biggest impact, the most impactful, I think it's Devonta Lee. I think you're right. Travis, we got to get going, man. I appreciate you joining the podcast. Have a good one. All right. Thank you, bro. Travis Graff does a fantastic job interacting with everybody on the boards, Please continue to uh, read everything that he posts. I can vouch for uh, the legitimacy of of the inside information that he has uh, posted in the past and really enjoyed having him on the podcast. I'm going to keep this, this one pretty brief because we're probably going to wrap up the Citrus Bowl with another podcast in the near future featuring Jeff Drummond, who is there in Florida sweating profusely. He told me, uh, and he, he told me afterwards, like you got to make sure you're not having a kid the next time Kentucky is in a game this big. And I was there, man. Like I, our little girl Isabella is not a consolation prize. I said that on the board. She's not a consolation when it comes to not being at the game. But I would be lying if I if I if I told you for three hours I was not jealous as heck that I couldn't be there because on television, Kentucky fans there sounded phenomenal. Uh, it was an incredible showcase for the program, and I just felt like it was kind of the culmination of everything that we've been covering. And Stoops built it, but we've been covering it day in, day out—the recruiting effort, the development side, everything—for five years. And you know, I'm happy for all of you long-suffering Kentucky football fans who are able to experience really big-time college football—not just the big stage, but success on the big stage uh, during a season in which they gained so much national respect. And I knew that they had gained real national respect when they lost to Georgia handily, and people weren't saying, well, this team's not for real. And then they lost to Tennessee, and they still held pretty pretty strong in the rankings. They only dropped a couple of spots. I mean, you lose those two games back-to-back most other years, and a, and a pretty good Kentucky team is totally written off. But when you beat Mississippi State, when you beat Florida, when you beat South Carolina year in, year out, when Drew Locke is winless against you, that's the proof is in the pudding. All you have to do to get respect is to earn it, with legitimate wins, and they had legitimate wins this season, Kat. you told me before the season that they would beat as many good teams as they beat. I would not have believed you. And uh, I don't want to say I, I, I didn't feel like this kind of season was possible for Kentucky, but <laughs> there were probably a lot of times in the past when I didn't think it was likely. And I think the best part about this season, regardless of the trajectory of the program from here on out, whether they win four games next year, nine games next year, whether Stoop stays one, three, five, ten years, whatever, the best thing about this season is for the rest of your life, you can hold on to it and say, it is possible. It is possible for Kentucky to win at a very high level. I mean, heck, if Georgia had played against Kentucky, like they played against Texas, and I know they were missing some guys. I know that my motivation might have been an issue. I'm not gonna be one of those guys that just writes off every SEC bowl loss due to like motivation, though. If Georgia had played like that against Kentucky, Kentucky could have been in the SEC championship game. So maybe they're not as far away uh, as any of us have probably thought after that Georgia game because it was not the same Georgia team that Kentucky played uh, in the latter part of the season. That's going to wrap it up for today's podcast. Really appreciate you guys listening. As always, catsillustrated.com. If you're not a member, I please, uh, I would love it if you signed up. We've got so many new members in recent weeks and recent months. It's really been um, humbling that you're putting your uh, your trust in the product that we're putting out, and it's the community that makes the site special. I mean that, and I'm grateful for every last one of you who's listening and who's with us at the site. Hope you guys have a fantastic continued start to the new year, and as you get back on the work grind, if that's the direction you're heading, and we will be with you on another edition of the podcast in the very near future. near future. Thanks again.